Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So after two weeks of the season, what do we really know about Stanford football, the Patch 12 and college football as a whole? We'll ask an expert that very question. And David Shaw has a Saturday off. How is he going to spend it? I will ask David Shaw that very question. A lot of questions. We'll try to give you as many answers as we can on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network and presented by Bet Online. Great to have you with us here on Friday, September 16th, 2022, here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. That's me. Hey, I host this show. <laughs> Great to have you on board um, here with us as we welcome you to the go-to podcast for Stanford fans since 2015. We break down Stanford football and Stanford athletics better than anybody else in the uh, podcast space, I do believe. And if that's not the case, well, then, hey, you get your money back. Oh, wait, this podcast is free? Oh, okay, well, I tried. Bye week is here for Stanford football as uh, they are going to gear up for their 10-week marathon, beginning with a plane ride up to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies. That'll be coming up next Saturday. But in the meantime, there's still a lot to break down during this bye week, and we will get help in part from our special guest on this week's show. You know him as one of the preeminent college football journalists, and he's been doing it for a long, long time. And he's a Stanford guy, now the VP of editorial and the senior writer for On3.com and Stanford class of 1981. Ivan Mazel is going to join us on uh, this episode of the TreeCast. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on what he's noticed from Stanford and what we can make of what we've seen of the 2022 college football season to this point. Yes, we're just two weeks in. Oh, okay, three weeks in, I guess, if you count week zero. But we're, we're just two weeks in. What do we really know about that? We'll get Ivan's thoughts on uh, those things. Plus, he wrote a terrific cover story in this month's Stanford Magazine. Was happy to see that in my mailbox a few days ago uh, called Throwing Out the Rule Book. That's the name of the cover story as, as he tries to make sense, along with help of from some of the experts, of just the headlines around college football and college sports that we've seen over the last few months and where Stanford football fits where Stanford Athletics fits in that as well. So Ivan Mazel will break all that down with us coming up a bit later on in the show. Plus David Shaw, even though this was the bye week, he still had his Tuesday weekly press conference. We'll pull snippets of the things that you need to know from that press conference. Plus we'll give you three things you need to know around Stanford football. Uh, who am I? I'm, I'm Troy Clarity. You can follow me on Twitter. At Troy Clarity, the last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. At Troy Clarity is the way to go there. 30th year of following Stanford football. Ninth year of Pac-12 Network play-by-play. -play, called a thriller last night. Oh, Stanford men's soccer almost won that game against UCLA. Instead, ended in a scoreless draw. That was a fun match to call on Thursday night down on the farm. And my first year of uh, college football play-by-play -play on the Compass Media Networks. Looking forward to calling college football on the national radio side and coming to you on a radio dial near you no matter where you live. And of course the TreeCast is available via your favorite listening app be it Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Google Play 
You can ask Alexa, hey, hook me up with the TreeCast, and she'll say right away. And next thing you know, the TreeCast is playing over your smart speaker. Modern technology is truly a wonderful thing. And when you do listen to the TreeCast on your favorite app, please be sure to, to give us a rating, give us your review, and subscribe to the show. That way, whenever these come, generally twice a week uh, during the football season, you will be ready to go whenever these shows are ready to go. Three things you need to know about Stanford football in the bye week. That's coming up in a moment. But first, this reminder that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and yes, even golf. BetOnline continues to be the, the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Three things you need to know about Stanford football, and it begins with some big news on the personnel front. Let's begin three things with number And right guard Branson Bragg, who had become a veteran of the Stanford offensive line, announced his retirement from football on Monday. We had not seen him. He was declared uh, out of the Colgate game the day before that season opener, was listed as questionable for USC. That held. I was on the field before the USC game. I did not see him warming up, participating in drills, and heck, I didn't even really pick him out uh, on the field either. Well, the senior from Combine, Texas, retired on Monday, citing a a severe concussion that he'd suffered during training camp, the lingering and intense effects from it, and other mental health factors. Bragg started all 12 games last year. I remember asking uh, wide receiver Mike Wilson and uh, safety Jonathan McGill at uh, last year's Stanford football season ticket members dinner, who was the guy on the Stanford team they were glad they didn't have to face on game days? They both answered Bragg. I also asked him who was the most all-business guy on the team, and they both answered Bragg and did it very quickly in both of those instances. Well, during his Tuesday press conference, David Shaw shared his reaction to Branson Bragg's retirement. Couldn't be more proud of him. Uh, he's earned so much respect um, from uh, from his teammates, from coaching staff, from everybody in our program. Uh, this young man has a bright future outside of football. Um, he's, he's smart. He's got a great personality. Uh, he's a musician. Um, he's 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 a Renaissance man, uh, and uh, football is just part of that uh, for him. Uh, he was a leader for us. He's a great football player for us. Um, but honestly, uh, he's got a bright future uh, outside of football and uh, couldn't be at a better place for him. The opportunities here on campus, uh, the, the contacts that he's already made and those that he will make, um, we're excited about what Branson will do in the future. Yeah, really not much more to say beyond that. Uh, aside, I'll add to that this. Thank you, Branson. And good luck and the best of health to you going forward. There's a subplot from this I do want to build upon later in the show, but first let's move on to number two. And we spent a lot of time on the post-USC episode of the TreeCast talking about the new wrinkles in Stanford offense, uh, the slow mesh in particular. We'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show. But I forgot to mention one intriguing adjustment that was made 
by the Stanford defense. We've talked a lot about the Cardinals' new uh, base defensive alignment this year with two down interior linemen and two stand-up edge rushers. Well, after putting up next to no resistance in the first half against the Trojans with that base alignment, Stanford came out in the second half with a different alignment, one down lineman and three edge rushers. Saw it right from the jump, and they stayed with it for most of the second half from there. I asked David Shaw why Stanford made that switch. It's been part of our package in the past, and I think we've got good personnel right now to, to, to utilize that again. And it gives you some variety as far as how you pressure the quarterback, but also how you stunt to, to handle the run as well. So um, that's one of the things that does give us, give us some variety, and we've got some guys with some, with some talent that um, I think lends itself. I thought it worked well in the second half, and um, that guy's played hard. That's David Shaw. And, yeah, while Stanford didn't suddenly turn into the 1976 Steelers in the second half against the Trojans, they did get better results. USC was also comfortably ahead by that point, but but still, any point, any, any port in the storm, right? Uh, will we see more of that from Stanford's front six going forward? I have a suspicion we might. Let's finish up three things with number three. And yeah, the bye week is early and 10 weeks straight of football after that. You know, it, it is what it is. You can't change that. So you got to make the best of it. And Stanford is trying its best to do just that. Cardinal had three practices during the week. I suspect ball security and forcing turnovers took center stage. But 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 what about Saturday itself? How does David Shaw spend his Saturday off, his by Saturday. Does he hit the couch? Does he invite the fellas over for a cookout? Does he spend it at Home Depot working on a project list? Who knows? Well, I asked David Shaw what's on his docket for Saturday. Uh, well, my son's got a got a football game, um, so I'll be at, at his game. Um, probably watch some college football um, Saturday after that game. Um, and uh, you know, I like to be really mellow uh, on the on the bye weeks, especially early bye weeks. And I, I push the coaches as well. Um, after this bye week, we got ten straight. You know, we can't we can't wear ourselves out on this bye week. We need to relax. We need to get some sleep because um, we start on Monday after the bye week. I mean, it's ten straight weeks of hopefully outstanding Stanford football. So we need to be fresh and ready to go. Keeping the bye week mellow. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. No sense in working everybody, including the coaches, super hard this week because, man, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to go pedal to the metal in the next 10 weeks ahead. The marathon is about to begin. Those are three things. Our special guest, Ivan Mazel of On3.com, Stanford class of 1981 and one of the original national college football journalists, especially uh, in the online space. Uh, he'll be our special guest, and he will join us here uh, in a few moments or so. Uh, real quick, though, a, a quick uh, personnel note uh, stretching back from the USC game. Some of you may have noticed that Caillou Blue Kelly uh, did not play much of the second quarter against USC as he did not participate in at least one series, possibly two. I'd have to go back. Uh, I should have gone back to my notes uh, before starting in on uh, voice in this show. But definitely Caillou Blue Kelly missed one series. And, you know, especially against that offense, when Caillou Blue Kelly is not out there, you definitely notice it. I asked Sean Tuesday if there was anything to that, if there was a health issue or anything else. And Sean said, no, it's just 
part of a rotation. You know, we want to get as many of our guys and keep as many of our guys as fresh um, as we possibly can. So, you know, he's certainly got the depth to be able to pull that off. Uh, but uh, nothing more to Caillou Blue Kelly's absence uh, through much of the second quarter against USC than that. So I, I took that as good news. But back to the news on Branson Bragg and an, an, an offshoot um, of that with Bragg retiring, announcing his retirement on Monday. And, and again, we wish him nothing, nothing but the very best and uh, thank him for uh, for representing Stanford University uh, to the best of his abilities, and I'm sure that he will continue to do so uh, even after he graduates and gets that uh, sheet of paper and hangs it up on his wall. And Bragg does plan to graduate on time with his degree in mathematical and computational science. It's pretty impressive stuff. And he's a musician, too. You heard David Shaw say that football was just a part of Branson Bragg's life just a part but in many times in some corners of the football world that's not enough and I, I think back to a few years ago when when Bryce Love was one of the most visible players in all of college football Heisman Trophy runner-up came back the following year and there were a lot of eyes on Bryce Love in that 2018 season and, and part of the hook part of his story was that you know, he wanted to go to med school. He wanted to become a pediatrician. And in some corners of the football world, the reaction to that wasn't, hey, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. We wish you well. The reaction instead was, oh, my God, Bryce Love wants to be a pediatrician? He's a football player. How can he be all in on football and completely committed uh, to being at his best on the, football on the football field when he wants to be a pediatrician? It, it, was, it, was, it was like, you know, it, it, it rankles me where when, and especially when this happens to, you know, this happens across the country, but especially when it happens to, uh, to, to, to Stanford kids, because let's face it, it seems to happen more often um, to, to Stanford football players who actually have interests off the field and are equally as committed to them as they are to their football. And it's used against them in recruiting. It's used against them sometimes. I've seen it in draft write-ups, you know, when guys are, are trying to go to the NFL. But there are corners of the football world where having actual interests and an actual life outside of football are frowned upon. Given that, on Tuesday during his weekly press conference, I asked David Shaw how he reacts to that and if he gets the sense that some of those notions are maybe even still prevalent in college football? That's a great question. I get more of the sense that we hear some of the recruiting conversations from the guys that we're recruiting, some that are on our team and those that we recruit, that there are coaches out there that say, hey, you know, it's not about school, it's about football. And I think it's a shame. I think it's a travesty. Um, I think it's it's disrespectful to the people that you recruit. If all you talk about when you recruit people is going to the NFL, then you're disrespecting that young man. Um, you're disrespecting that young person and the things that they can accomplish on this planet. Um, so um, for us, we recruit people to come to Stanford and take advantage of what's here. If they're lucky enough and fortunate enough and athletic enough to go play in the NFL, great. You know, we've had a bunch, right? And we'll continue to have more. Um, but the priority is to bring people to Stanford, uh, 
get them around all these people on this on their team but then all these people that are outside of our our locker room um to have these contacts to have these people that teach them and can mold them and and, and advise them and give them direction outside of football um, that's what we're all supposed to be doing um so yeah it's it's still out there we hear it a bunch we hear it all the time um and it's a shame and uh, i look at a, a young person like branson bragg and uh, thankfully he's here and he's going to get an outstanding degree he's got a great future um and i feel for some of those other places where they've only focused on football and when football goes away they don't have anything to fall back on um so um like i said yesterday in the press conference uh, or saturday night press conference um, we're not going to change our mode. We're going to bring people in here as freshmen. We're going to teach them what to do. We're going to get them experience um, outside of football. We're going to give them people that can advise them and help them and, and help them grow and learn and uh, and send them out to the world um, as leaders. So I'm um, proud of Branson. He made a tough decision, but it's the right decision and a great decision. And um, and he's got a bright future. Well said by by David Shaw. And and I'm not going to lie, um, that that last part about bringing kids in as freshmen and developing them for four years, uh, that that kind of rings a bit louder and kind of a bit more distinctively when I see other programs, multiple other programs, fighting over who's transfer you. All right, one of them is in the Pac-12, not for long though. Uh, and by all indications. Branson Bragg's situation appears to have been well handled. Not only by Bragg himself, because that's a tough decision to make, man. There are so many things that you have to weigh to come to, even think about coming to that conclusion. So in a lot of ways, a lot of courage being shown by Bragg for, for choosing that path. So not only did he handle it well, but the adults, the so-called adults in the room, also seem to be handling that pretty well, too. And by that, I mean the medical staff and the coaches as well. I mean, would other programs have handled it the same way? Probably not. Probably not. Hey, man, you're still suffering from this concussion? Well, look, we need you to keep playing. Hey, Doc, get him cleared as quickly as you can. And if you don't get back out there on the field as quickly as you can, well, there goes your scholarship. Other programs would probably have handled that very, very differently. But, but I'm glad that, that all parties involved, by all indications, seem to arrive at the right decision here and the best decision for all involved. And that's really what this is all about. And it's kind of you know, intriguing the juxtaposition when you look at this story and when you remember that Andrew Luck was in the building at Stanford Stadium for Stanford USC last week. It was good to see him. I actually you know, went down to the field you know, towards the end of the game, and you know, I was like five feet away from him. Wow, cool. That's, that's, Andrew, that's Andrew Luck over there. Good to see him back. And I have often said, and I even said this during his playing days, that football needs Andrew Luck a hell of a lot more than Andrew Luck needs football. And based on the sound of it, Branson Bragg might be one of those guys, too. That's not a bad thing, folks. That's not a bad thing. It's okay to have interests outside of football. There's a whole world outside of football. As shocking as it might seem to some folks, yes, there actually is a world outside football. 
And we wish Branson Bragg the very best as he heads off into it. Well, this is the bye week for Stanford football. They don't get going again until they head on the plane and get up to Seattle next week to face the Washington Huskies. So this is probably a fantastic time for us to kind of widen the shot a little bit, kind of broaden our perspective, and just kind of look at things outside of the eucalyptus curtain and outside of the Pac-12 as well, and maybe do a little national stuff too. But I can't think of a more perfect special guest for this week to cover all three of those things than Ivan Mazel, Stanford class of 81, the vice president of editorial and senior writer of on3.com, the author of the powerfully moving book, uh, I keep trying to catch his eye. And he also has the cover story in this month's Stanford Magazine. It was really cool to see that uh, in my mailbox when I got it the other day. Perfect time to catch up with the one and only Ivan Mazel. Ivan, thanks a bunch. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Troy. Thank you. What a nice introduction. Well, of course. I mean, you've, you've earned it, right? <laughs> appreciate you. Oh, yeah. uh, appreciate you uh, jumping on the show here with us. And uh, let, let's talk overall stuff nationally uh, for a moment or so as we begin this year. Um, two weeks into the season, prime overreaction time. What do you think we really know about college football on a national basis after just two weeks of play? I think we know Georgia's really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we know like there's some structural issues uh, at Texas A&M, at Notre Dame. Um, you know, other than that, uh, as you say, you just try really hard not to overreact. I mean, I was... I was impressed with USC in the first half last Saturday night, obviously, uh, last Saturday night where I was, Saturday afternoon where you were. But, you know, I'm real curious about how the league in general, how quickly they figure out what it is that that Lincoln Riley does. And, you know, I, I – I didn't see much of the second half. I'd be curious to know whether Lance Anderson kind of figured it out or whether Lincoln Riley just took his foot off the gas or both. Uh, but you know, Stanford made the game respectable. And, and, and I think Stanford gave everybody a lot of, uh, you know, there's some, there's some things there to be excited about. Yeah, some things on on both sides of the ball. And yeah, it did kind of seem like uh, USC kind of both kind of put their foot off the gas a little bit. And they made an adjustment in the second half that, that maybe kind of made a little, little bit of, of a difference uh, for, for Stanford defensively. But uh, you, you mentioned USC. They appear to be back as everyone is trying to crown them as being back among college football's elite. Um, Utah, uh, the Pac-12 champion as of this point. Uh, still very much in the mix, despite that oh, result yeah. uh, over Florida. Uh, who do you think is the Pac-12's bigger CFP hope right now? USC, Utah, <laughs> or is there another contender out there that we haven't quite considered just yet? Well, I, I think USC is the bigger hope just because they're getting the most attention and will continue to get that attention until they prove they don't deserve it. That's just what being USC is. Uh, you know, I still think Utah is really good. Uh, I think, 
that loss won't the only way that loss will count against them is just the fact that it's a loss but given that it was week one given that they were on the road in alien weather and that it came down to the last play and that you know they were in the red zone twice and came away with no points I, I think that's a pretty good still a pretty good team so uh I like I like Utah I like SC, you know, Washington's been better than I thought they would be, at least in the early going. Uh, you, know, and, you know, after that, we'll just wait and see. You know, I, I'm really curious about Oregon State, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and USC goes up there next weekend. And if it weren't a 930 Eastern kick, I just might have gone. But, you know, that, that's an old problem with the Pac-12. But uh, I, Jonathan Smith has really – Seems like that's a fun story to cover, and and I'm really curious about the Beavs. Yeah, and, and the way they won that game against Fresno State uh, last weekend uh, with Jonathan Smith uh, shunning the game-time field goal, three seconds left in regulation, and going for the touchdown and getting it. I, I, I've said this for years. You know, it's, it's like you get so used to watching college football coaches coach not to lose that when you see one who's actually coaching to win, it's almost like a shock to the system. So certainly Jonathan Smith uh, with uh, the, the stones move, shall we say, of, of the well, week, last week. And, and doing it intelligently. I mm-hmm. mean, we, yeah. we all, you know, our jaws all dropped when Scott Frost did what he did, you know, in Dublin against Northwestern. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, obviously his, his options were limited, uh, you know, against Fresno and, and he made the call and, and, I think that I think he's a really good young coach and I just uh I'm excited to see how they do as we go forward. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um back to USC for a second. Uh given everything, the fact that the Trojans have basically eight toes out the door, does a successful USC have have any true value to the Pac-12 at all in your mind? Well, it certainly would have financial value. Right. Uh, in the short term, you know, if they were to make a playoff run. Uh, And just to get that last bit of tradition and traditional rivalry, uh, you know, for the league, you know, that's never a bad thing. I'm still just in absolute disbelief that they did what they did. And and it was sort of the last move after a, a, a lot of, the mistakes by the league uh, that led that led USC to think that's what they had to do to survive, Uh, you know, is to just pick up and go chase money. Uh, There aren't a lot of school, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a deep well of, of stories of about programs that have are doing what USC and UCLA are trying to do, which is be competitive two time zones away or three. I don't know how they, I don't know how they can do that in any sport, you know, uh, consistently over the course of a long physical season, you're at such a disadvantage. You're putting your kids at such a competitive disadvantage, but you know, which makes me think that the Big Ten is going to come back for more teams from the West and set up some sort of division out here. Um, that said, you know, they're still in the league. Uh, they're still a bell cow, as as we say in this where I grew up, and and the league will benefit from that. What's on Stanford football's plate 
this season as you see it trying to rebound from the three and nine record the the seven game losing streak to end the 2021 campaign and, and trying to get back uh to the tiers that it had been competing on for much of, of the 2010s in, in your mind what's what's on stanford football's plate this season a lot i mean you know you you laid it out pretty well and they were uh, so uncompetitive last year uh, as the season wore on and then got hit by the portal a little bit. Uh, you know, that's why I thought the fact that they, there was a pulse Saturday night was promising. Uh, you know, there's still some issues, but you see a young guy like David Bailey do what he did, you know, live up to the billing he had coming in. Uh, you know, there, there's, you know, there are some players there and, you know, we all got spoiled by the last decade. You know, I, I think we're now back to uh, where Stanford has traditionally been. You know, they, they, there is a talent difference. They, you know, and, and, you know, we can argue about what's happened and why that talent is different exists. But right now it does exist. And uh Stanford needs some breaks they need to stay healthy they need to get more experienced it's a young team uh but uh, I think last year was the bottom and uh we'll just see David you know David Shaw didn't get dumb you know suddenly so just be fun to watch this young team develop and it's going to develop mostly around the quarterback, Tanner McKee, it seems, as McKee. And I'm already, I'm already starting to see some draft rumblings surrounding uh, Tanner. And, and it's like, wow, people are already trying to shove him out the door already. Let's see what he does does this year. Uh, what, you know, you, you, you're, you, you've got your finger to the pulse all around college football. What's your sense of how others see Tanner McKee and where he truly fits potentially um, in the Pac-12 quarterback hierarchy and maybe even in the in the national quarterback hierarchy, perhaps? Well, we'll see. I think people see a, a, a smart guy, a big guy, a good arm. Uh, he's not very mobile. And, uh, you know, it seems a little mechanical, but, you know, I don't, you know, that's just a amateur, uh, you know, an amateur assessment. Uh, I think, uh, he, you know, but he's got that classic Stanford size and brain and arm. And so, you know, and, and the fact that he is a little older because of the LDS mission, I think is working out really well, especially on a team that needs experience and needs maturity. So if they can just keep him upright, you know, and give him time, then, you know, I, I think good things will happen. You had an incredible and, and very well done uh, cover story in uh, this month's uh, Stanford Magazine on given the headlines that have been surrounding college sports, obviously the Pac-12 going through its own existential crisis. What happens without UCLA, USC? What else could happen there? Uh, and, and all those other sorts of things that have come out of that. Um, NIL uh, issues with student athletes and how they've been treated and how they could be compensated going forward, all sorts of things swirling around college sports right now. When you look at all of those things, what's your sense on where Stanford fits amidst 
all of the all, all of its turmoil, given how it operates and given how it how it sees itself. Troy, I don't know. And and the and I think the biggest issue is I don't think Stanford knows. You know, the administration, the people on the other side of campus drive are gonna have to make a decision. Do they want to uh, maintain a, an FBS program and uh, at, and compete at the same level and do the same things you have to do that everybody else is deciding to do in order to stay in the Pac-12 or 10 or whatever it's going to be and and compete. You know they've got to decide. You know nobody on the administration side, as far as I can understand, likes the Alston decision that the Supreme Court made, which allows schools to pay money to students for, quote, academic achievement, which is a canard. You know, Penn State is paying, you know, Penn State's definition of academic achievement is a 2.0. So if you stay eligible, you get, you know, the right now what the, the payment is $6,000 a year. The university's got it. You know, the university doesn't like that because it's giving athletes a benefit that other students are not eligible for. Uh, so, uh, but if if Stanford doesn't do that, then they will be at a com- recruiting and competitive disadvantage. So, they just have to decide. And if they decide they're going to go some sort of third way, you know, to to borrow a Clintonism. Uh, you know, the, the somewhere between the Ivy League and the FBS, then I hope other people, they find other people to go with them, you know. But uh, I think it's all going to unfold very uh, methodically over the next few years. Boy, back in my day, 2-0 and go just meant your degree. Now I guess it means a little bit more uh, depending upon, uh, upon where you go to school. Uh, so much change uh in the offing in in the next months few months years what, what however uh, time period you want to look at it and certainly so much has changed since your days on the farm and and, and very intriguing time uh on the farm to be covering uh to be covering stanford sports what was the coolest thing the coolest event that you had a chance to cover during your days with the stanford daily Oh, what a great question. Uh, well, you know, I got to cover you know, John McEnroe was in my freshman dorm. So I got to see probably the greatest college tennis team that ever lived. Uh, you know, Bill Walsh was the, this unknown guy who was the coach my first two seasons. Um, so I, I got to, you know, cover those teams and got to know Bill, which was just a thrill. Uh, I covered uh, that infamous 18 to 16 loss to number one Oregon State by the men's basketball team uh, <laughs> before the shot clock when mm-hmm. Dick DeBiso decided that was the only way Stanford could compete. And obviously, by the final score, he, he was he was he was right. You know, uh, uh, I, I remember Ray Ratto, the beloved Ray Ratto, who was then at the uh, Pally Times counting aloud the number of passes in the Stanford backcourt. And I think it got up to 147. So, uh, and everybody could hear him because Maples wasn't full. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are the kind of things I think of. Um, you know, I, I covered uh, 
that I pretty much only covered football, basketball, and tennis for whatever reason. I did a little track. I remember writing a story about James Lofton, you know, and got to know him, which was he was a senior and I was a freshman. That was kind of cool. Uh, so, um, and and covered the twenty one twenty one tie in seventy nine when you know with USC and Stanford. So that was. Uh, as far as games go, that was probably the most memorable. Stanford beating USC 21-21, I guess, yes. if you want to call it that, back in 1979. A, a fantastic and, and, and just fascinating time uh, for Stanford sports. By the way, uh, Stanford's daily archives, I use them quite often. I know you were you helped spearhead that project um, in a big-time way, so it is actually possible to go back and actually read uh, those articles um, from back in the day. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. It's also, of course, possible to read Ivan Mazel today on on3.com. Covers college sports, covers recruiting. Uh, you've helped, you, you're one of the founding forces, one of the spearheads uh, of that effort. Tell the folks about on3.com. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, last year, ESPN didn't renew my contract after I'd been there almost 20 years. And I just had to decide, I was kind of looking around, what am I going to do? And and uh, Shannon Terry, uh, who is the founder of On3, is the guy who created Rivals.com and, and then sold it and created 247sports.com and sold it. And he came to me and said, I, you know, I, I, I got an idea. We'll still be recruiting centric but i want to cover everything and you know i want us to be taken seriously journalistically and you know what do you think and i thought yeah it could be fun uh, so uh, i'm doing what i've always done which is kind of just go out cover games and tell stories uh i'm in front of where it is a subscription site but i'm in front of the paywall you know kind of a carnival barker trying to get people to come look at it uh but uh, it, it's been fun, and we've grown much, much faster. We've been now online almost 14 months, much faster than uh, we anticipated, and uh, done good work. We've really seized not only on recruiting, but on NIL, and, and done, we cover NIL comprehensively, and we've come up with an NIL valuation uh, algorithm that assesses what kids are what their worth is and done that before anybody else has and, and just as a way to try to make make our name known and it, it's working fantastic fantastic stuff and awesome to have you uh back in the mix uh covering college football uh, as we wrap this up here we go week three you know i'm gonna be sitting on my couch you know checking out as many games as i can or at least as many games as my wife will let me uh but i'll be checking out week three what are you going to be checking out in week three of the college football season? What's hot on Ivan Mizell's plate, on Ivan Mizell's plate this week? Well, it's not a great schedule uh, for games, which usually means that crazy things will happen when right? you least expect it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm curious about Miami at Texas A&M, given the egg my, uh, Texas A&M laid last week. Uh, Miami hasn't really been tested yet, and they've got to go into Kyle Field. So that's interesting. Uh, seeing Nebraska with a new interim coach and, you know, will their player, will that team all just sort of make a, a, you know, a, across the locker room collective sigh and relax and go play the way they're capable when number six OU comes into Lincoln. 
uh, Penn State going into Auburn, the first Big Ten team ever to play at Jordan-Hare Stadium. That's an interesting game. But there's nothing that just, you know, I can look at the schedule this week and just grabs you by the throat and says, you need to see this. You know, so uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be at Sony Stadium, uh, you know, here at home and just making my notes. <laughs> so so it's not a bad week if, if the wife says hey troy let's let's do this instead is, is that what you're telling me <laughs> well the funny thing is is that uh you know i went on the what i guess was it the the pan the pandemic season i didn't go anywhere and uh you know my wife came down one point and she just said i'm just curious but if you had a real job, is this what you would do every, what you would have done every Saturday? Just, you know, cause I sit on the couch at noon and I get up about 2 AM <laughs> and that's kind of accurate. So, yeah. The yes was the answer. Well, when you do what you love, it's never work. That's the old saying, right. isn't it? Ivan Mazel from on3.com, Stanford class of 81, and always a pleasure to bring him in here on the TreeCast. Ivan, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Best of luck, best of health going forward, and hope to chat with you again soon. Or enjoy the rest of the season. You too, Troy. Thanks a lot. Our thanks again to Ivan Mazel for uh, joining us. And uh, despite his uh, assessment of the, uh, the week three slate, uh, you can find me on the couch anyway on Saturday. I'll probably go to the gym, get a workout in uh, for the 9 o'clock games. But after that, uh, hopefully you can find me on the couch as much as you possibly can um, after that on my by Saturday. And, uh, you know, good to get his thoughts on, on, on just touch on everything right now. Figure that with this being the bye week, it's a perfect chance to kind of, you know, look at everything as, as much as we possibly can. And, 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 and certainly, you know, I, I thought that his assessment of where Stanford fits right now amidst all the turmoil surrounding college football and college athletics is, is spot on accurate. What does Stanford want to do? Do they want to play this game? Do they want to go along in some of the directions that college football and college athletics appear to be heading in? I don't know the answer to that. And I'm with Ivan in that I'm not entirely sure that the university knows the answer to that as well. I'm sure they have their suspicions, but I, I don't know. I don't know that the university completely knows. I'm, I know they have their preferences on which way they would rather see college football and college athletics go, given Alston, given NIL, given all the other things that, that, that seem to be you know, tearing apart college football and college athletics from at, at the seams, from what we know it, and forming it into, into something else new and maybe largely unrecognizable. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the university leadership has its preferences on where it would like college sports to go. But where the university itself goes, the, 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 the decisions that are made, at the very, very, very top levels of the university hierarchy? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that they know truly what they want to do at this point. So certainly a lot to, uh, a lot to go through and a lot to sort through in, in, in that department. And yeah, if you can, check out the Stanford Daily Archive it's really cool. I mean, they have the actual articles, but they actually have the 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 the, uh, the layouts all scanned and ready to go, so you can actually see. You know, you can flip to some random 
you know, Stanford uh, Daily Issue of 1974, you know, and, and, and just look at that and, and just see, you know, get a good glimpse of, you know, what the university was like at different parts of its history. And Ivan Maisel was a big part of, of getting all those copies scanned and, 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 and putting forth the, uh, the backing um, to uh, help that project out. And I'm certainly glad he did because it's been a great resource for me um, over the years. So good stuff all the way around by Ivan Maisel, who was encouraged by some things he saw um, from Stanford against USC. But still a lot of work to do. And maybe the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest focus for Stanford has been that turnover margin. It's, you know, as, as we told you on the last episode of the TreeCast earlier this week, Stanford has the biggest turnover deficit in college football. Turnover margin after two games is minus seven. There are 131 schools in FBS college football. Stanford is number 131 by its lonesome, not tied with anybody else. There are a few schools that are at minus six, but only one school at minus seven, and it's Stanford. Now, a lot of that, of course, is on the offense, right? I mean, of course, they turn, they've, they've turned it over eight times. That's, that's inexcusable. Through two games. You can't win like that. You can beat Colgate. Can't beat USC. And I don't, I don't think you can beat anybody else on Stanford's schedule by turning it over four times. But the defense shares in this too. Stanford's turned it over eight times, but it's only forced one turnover. And they didn't even really seem to come close to forcing any turnovers at all against USC last week. Limiting turnovers is crucial offensively, but creating turnovers has to be a big, big focus too. How can Stanford work on that? David Shaw told us during his Tuesday press conference. Turnovers come from a couple things. As my dad always says, tips and overthrows, right? Which means you get pressure on the quarterback, get him to make an errant throw, and the ball's a little high, gets tipped, and, you know, it's like our two, our two interceptions that we gave up um, were on tip passes, so... Um, press the quarterback to make him make an errant throw. And then the other times they come from hustle and technique, guys running to the ball, guys ripping at the ball like we do in practice um, and getting the ball out. So um, we're going to count on uh, getting pressure on the quarterback. We're going to count on hustling to the ball and, and raking at it. And uh, those things will pan out. Dare I say hustle and flow is how you create turnovers. I never saw that movie by the way. Maybe I should at some point. But uh, yeah, David Shaw says, look, you, you, you create turnovers by, by pressuring the quarterback, disrupting the pocket, something Stanford has not done. Certainly, uh, did, did, you know, Caleb Williams did get, he did get sacked um, a couple times, I believe, in the second half. So that, that, that did get better in the second half. But when, they, when that game was in its competitive stage, Williams was barely breathed upon. So certainly getting in the pocket and hustling and flowing to the ball, which I like Stanford's chances of doing that better than, than getting to the pocket at this point. So maybe stripping the ball is, is going to have to be the way forward for Stanford enforcing turnovers uh, to this point. Who knows? Who knows? But Stanford focusing on those aspects of creating turnovers and ideally getting that turnover margin much closer to being balanced out and getting a turnover surplus 
ideally by the end of the season. A lot of work to do. Minus seven, man, that's a that's a pretty big hole to climb out of. But we'll we'll see what happens uh, from there. But of course, the big wrinkle from Stanford offensively against USC was that slow mesh where you know from the shotgun, McKee takes the snap and he holds it out to the running back, and he and the running back converge, and they take a couple steps, and while that's happening, McKee is reading the defense and seeing, hey, are they committing to the run? If they do, he pulls it out quickly and throws an intermediate ball down the field. If they're, if the defensive line and the, the front six, front seven is a bit too hesitant, then he'll go ahead and complete the handoff to the running back who will burst for a few yards. It worked beautifully for Stanford against USC. That was fun to watch. What And, and we talked about this um, on, the, on the last episode. Um, after the game, Tanner McKee told us that, you know, and we played the soundbite for you, that everybody knows Stanford historically, certainly over the last, you know, 10 plus years or so, makes a lot of different calls and changes before the snap. It's one of the reasons why Stanford's offense and their scheme stood out and was a bit more distinct where so much more of the quarterbacking was done before the snap. Okay, we called this play in the huddle. We break the we break the huddle, we turn around, we look at the defense's formation. Uh-oh, I need a new play. Where do I go from there? Things like that. Well, McKee told us after the USC game that he liked making post-snap reads and and solving the defense that way. I thought that was pretty intriguing. So on Tuesday, I asked David Shaw if if moving the quarterback's decision-making from before the snap and placing more of it to after the snap is part of the evolution of Stanford's offense and what it means going forward. And it's part of the, the evolution of college football. And um, we've always been open to change and open to new ideas and new thoughts. And we'll still have some pre-snap decisions for the quarterback, run and pass. Um, but the RPO world now is a lot of post-snap decisions, um, creating difficult situations for the defense. And um, as a staff, we've grown to and adopted some of those things, um, especially in particular with a quarterback that's got the stature uh, that our quarterback does. He can see over everybody um, and he can he's a great decision maker. He's got a quick release so he can pull it. And um, without a lot of wind up, he can still throw the ball down the field. So those RPOs with the intermediate throws are great. But now we have the ability with the slow mesh um, and a couple of other things we're doing to have uh, uh, put the defense in a bind and be able to throw the ball down the field as well. Yeah, in, intriguing stuff uh, from David Shaw. And, you know, he talk, you know, obviously the slow mesh comes from Wake Forest. They ran it last year. Nobody else in the, co- in the country was running it. And then Stanford unveiled it uh, on Saturday. And everyone on football Twitter's uh, j- jaws uh, went agog you know, after that. But it, it, is, it is neat to see, and it makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. And it seems to help everybody out because McKee has the ability to read things quickly. Stanford's running backs do have the ability to pick up yardage. We saw that from E.J. Smith and from Casey Filkins. More on him in a second, by the way. And it helps out the offensive line as well because you don't need to lean on a defensive line quite as much if that defensive line is hesitant and doesn't know what's coming, right? With that slow mesh, with McKee hanging on to the ball and staying close to the running back like that as long as he can, that makes the defensive line hesitate. Wait, what's he going to do? Is he going to hand it off? Is he going to run? Should I commit? What should I do? 
Well, while the defensive linemen are thinking about this, the offensive line can just hold its block, hold its block, hold its block, instead of physically trying to push guys around, which was a problem for Stanford last year. So it helps the offensive line, I think, a little bit in that way. I mean, would it be great for Stanford to line up and just maul dudes and just just push them all around the park like they did in the old days? Yeah, sure. We might see that by the end of the season. I don't know. But great to see that slow mesh help everybody out in the Stanford offense. Will that keep going? And how opposing defenses adjust to it now that it's on tape? The chess match continues. Mentioned Casey Filkins. And I thought he played a pretty impressive game, even before he took over as the feature back uh, for Stanford after EJ Smith got banged up a bit early in the USC game, came back in and dropped his second fumble on the ground um, in the second half. Then the Stanford coaches decided to to shut him down from there and uh, not risk him uh, any further injury to him. Um, it for you know, especially getting into the bye week and knowing that there are 10 straight weeks of football left to go. But Casey Filkins, I thought, had a really nice game, real nice game, 100 yards of total offense, got some touches, made some nice gains, made some nice decisions. Oh, by the way, he was still very much a factor in the return game too. I asked David Shaw about Casey's role potentially going forward where E.J. Smith fits right now especially given his health plus a follow-up question we'll see where ej's health is um, but casey's going to continue to grow and learn and, and both these guys are young you know they're both juniors but they're both young they haven't played a lot of football and i think their best football is ahead of them so i think casey's only going to improve and get better and better and better um, he had a good game but he, could, he there's some things that he would love to have back um, so um, we think both of these guys are really really good football players and um, are going to be a big part of our attack moving forward. Does Casey potentially step to the four in short yardage situations for the foreseeable future? Uh, I think we have some options there. Yeah, the translation there is, I'm not telling you that. All right, that's fine. That's cool. Hey, I had to ask. Why not, right? You know, see, see what he says to it. But EJ Smith, the 87-yard run on the very first play of the season and had a had a very effective game against USC, productive from a yardage standpoint, and did a lot of things that you like to see, but he put the ball on the ground twice, once inside the USC five-yard line. Cardinal, cardinal sin. Pun not intended. That that just came to me. I, I didn't, mean to, didn't mean to say that. But, but I think you know what I'm getting at here. Filkins, to this point... Has been a bit more steady and showed some things, I think, in the second half. So does that maybe mean that things balance out a little bit more in the offensive backfield for Stanford? Not sure. Not sure. But I do think Casey Filkins might be the better short yardage guy at this point. So what do we know about Stanford two weeks into the season? Well, coming into the year, I'm sure we all thought, most of us thought that Stanford wouldn't have any trouble moving the, uh, moving the ball, right? A trigger man in Tanner McKee, outstanding wide receivers and flashy running backs that we still didn't maybe not quite know a whole lot of, but we knew what they were capable of in Smith and Philkins. We thought Stanford wouldn't have trouble moving the ball. 
We also suspected that the defensive front might struggle a bit, especially early on in the season with the lack of experience and maybe the lack of strength as well. I mean, a lot of those guys are, are young, freshmen, sophomores who haven't quite hit the weight room just yet. So we thought that the suspected that the defensive front might struggle a bit early. So, so right now, I'm not sure that we've learned anything totally new and out of the ordinary about Stanford to this point. I mean, you ask a lot of folks, hey, where do you think Stanford's going to be sitting after two weeks? And I think a lot of folks would have said one and one. Convincing win over Colgate and a loss to USC. So the season's gone about as many people may have expected so far. But the next two weeks, these two plane rides, one to Seattle and one to Eugene, these next two weeks are going to tell us which tier Stanford's going to be competing in this year. Whether Stanford is going to find its way perhaps into that, that upper tier, maybe the second tier, or maybe be aiming for a more middle tier, or whether it's going to end up Towards the bottom, who knows? I, I think the next two weeks, we'll learn a lot more about Washington, by the way, as they face Michigan State uh, on Saturday night. That'll be fun. But I think we're certainly going to learn a lot more about Stanford by the close of business on October the 1st. Want to learn more about your thoughts on what you're thinking about Stanford football? Our chat with Ivan Mazel on Stanford Athletics. And anything else on your mind? On the show, too. Hey, let me know how the show's doing. I always appreciate that. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the way to go there via Twitter. And we will see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Next episode, I've got Pac-12 Network uh, play-by-play duty on Wednesday. So, decent chance. We'll try to probably bring you the next episode of the TreeCast and a preview of Stanford versus Washington. We'll try to get that to you if we can, maybe sometime late on Thursday, perhaps. Definitely no later than Friday morning. So next week's episode will come at you a bit later in the week than we normally try to bring these to you. So hang on. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be back at you next time. Special thanks once again to our guests, Ivan Mazel, for joining us on the TreeCast. And always great to hear from David Shaw and to participate in his weekly press conferences. Biggest thanks, most of all, goes out to you for joining us on the show. I always appreciate it. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane. We'll see you next week on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.